Welcome to the WinFL Show. Welcome to the WinFL Show. I'm your host, Ian McKinnon, joined this week by uh, Jake McGee. And I'm going to say the individual Jake McGee because we do not have David Somerville with us, unfortunately, this week. How are you doing today, Jake? Um, I'm here. I'm surviving. Just I'm full of, uh, full of the cold, but I couldn't leave you all alone. Surviving and yet not thriving. Uh, we're a wee bit... <laughs> <laughs> but a wee bit later this week, uh, unfortunately, due to uh, myself and Jake being away last week earlier on, and then we had some some Ill- some collective illness apparently. So we are doing this one a bit later, but we're going to do- be doing a double header. We've got uh, this week's show, and then we've got oh, sorry, I should say we've got last week's show today, and then we've got this week's show later on, probably on Wednesday. That will be- so we got you got a bit of a double header uh, for the listeners out there. Jake, did you enjoy your time away? I did very much. I'm glad to be back. And like you say, glad to get back into it. Don't want to fall behind now with the uh, end of our seasons coming quicker and quicker. It's appearing at a, a rate of knots. The the NFL season is closing in pretty quickly. We're into July now, although you wouldn't know it by the weather here in the Hebrides. But I understand you were at a concert, Jake. Is that right? Yes, I was way in Glasgow. Stayed, you know, I didn't travel too far. Stayed in Scotland, went down to Glasgow. Again, the weather was neither here nor there, but... It was nice to get away, nice to be back. And uh, yeah, July, that's training camp month, so it's going to get busy. It's going to get very busy indeed. And who is it that you were seeing in concert? It was the Hella Mega Tour. That was two, maybe three years in the, well, three years in the in the making. It was Weezer, Fall Out Boy and Green Day. That's a pretty impressive lineup there. All it three was bands worth there. the rate. Are you a fan of all three bands or was, was it? I, no, I'd say out of all of them, I like Weezer the most. Um, certainly, you know. Grew up with Fall Out Boy and Green Day, so I, I appreciate their music, but I, I really like Weezer. I think they're very underrated. Oh, fantastic. That was good to see Weezer. Um, I was also away uh, last week. I went to see the Rocky Horror Show, Rocky Horror Picture Show, in the King's Theatre in Glasgow, uh, followed by Hanson. So uh, that was a, a present for my wife. I bought her two tickets to see Hanson. Uh, obviously thinking she was going to take one of her friends with her, uh, but she insisted that I accompany her to see Hanson live in concert and you know what they were great it was a great show really enjoyed it the only song i only i knew two songs i knew the, of the obvious one umbop and the other one which is where's the love i i didn't realize that i knew two hansen songs until i heard that one i was like oh yeah i do actually remember that but um, they were absolutely fantastic and their uh support act oh, i want to say his name was paul mcdonald and i believe he was a winner of it was either American X Factor or American Idol. It was one of the two. So support act Paul McDonald, he was absolutely brilliant. I'll give him props. And he was a gentleman as well. He, he was happy to say hello to me um, after he'd uh, done his set before Hanson came on. And an absolute gentleman, Paul McDonald, very good. But of course, we're not here to talk about music, Jake. We are, uh, of course. We here could, to- though. We could, but, you know, if we did that, we'd be here for a long time. I can talk about music until the cows come home. But we are going to be talking about the NFL. And this week, or should I say last week's show, being broadcast this week, is, of course, a deep dive into the AFC West. Obviously, my favourite division, my own Denver Broncos are in the AFC West. But before we do that, we do have a few things to cover. So we've got uh, a few bits of news. So Jake, would you like to talk us through the headlines from the past week in the NFL? Yeah, stumbling through um, Twitter uh, and the NFL.com to see what I missed with my time away. I think the biggest one was uh, Scary Terry. 
Uh, Terry McLaurin getting his three-year, seventy million um, extension. Um, so total guaranteed, just over fifty-three million in total, I believe, and a twenty-eight million signing bonus. So another wide receiver gets paid this off-season. Debo and uh, DK Metcalf are, are still looking around, wondering when it's their turn. But um, another chip falls in the, in the wide receiver market. It certainly does. I mean, we were talking about this a couple of weeks. Well, I say a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, now, ever since the. the the Christian Kirk contract. Uh, we all said this is going to just tear the wide receiver, uh, wide receiver market open, and it has done. With you know uh, players getting huge contracts now at the wide receiver position, and Terry McLaurin is a great weapon for Washington. Three-year contract. You've you've got to think he's going to be there for more than that. They'll extend that contract for him because he's uh, such a great weapon for Washington. I hope for his sake he's not. Not there any longer than he needs to be. <laughs> do, do you know what? They might turn it around. It's, yep. it's a possibility. I, I I don't know if it's going to happen, but they might. I hope for their sake they do. Obviously, the, the Washington commanders, as I know now, have been in the news an awful lot, mostly because of Dan Snyder. More recently, of course, because of um, Jack Del Rio, defensive coordinator. And then, of course... The head coach, uh, Ron Rivera, got fined for, was it OTAs? I think yeah, he, doing, uh, yeah, there was a few coaches that uh, did a few things illegal in OTAs in terms of extra practices or maybe yeah. a bit more contact than they should have been. I mean, they're getting fined left, right and centre and uh, the owner, Dan Snyder, that's got to be hurting his pocket at this point in time. It really has to be. And uh, he's under investigation as well, as as we all know already, Dan Snyder. So um, we'll see what happens with Washington. But it's good to see Terry McLaurin at least getting paid. The, the Washington uh, commanders, you know, I'm never going to get used to that. I didn't get used to the football team. And I don't think I I'll like ever. The football get, team. Do you know what? I like it in retrospect because I think it's better than the commanders. <laughs> I think the commanders is a terrible name. I have no idea why they went with that. I'd suggested you're not, you're not here for uh, Carson Wentz saying he's here to take command. You know uh, that doesn't get your juices yeah, flowing. Do uh, you know it really doesn't? It doesn't. No, uh, I was going for the Wild Hogs. I thought they'd go for that because you, at least they've already got half the fans dressed up with the pigs' noses to call themselves hogs. I thought they'd just go for Wild Hogs. Why not? It'd be a fun name. It, it's not gonna. It's not gonna have any affecting anyone i can't see any fans from washington saying oh i'm not going to support this team now they're called the wild hogs I, I didn't see that happening at all they call themselves the commanders and you know some of the fans don't seem to take in with it and and washington had a good fan base like a you know a good strict fan base i don't know if it's going to continue um, well, especially not after all the, the news that's been going on. We'll see. I, I hope they do well. But we'll go further into Washington in next week's show. But, of course, we'll do the uh, we'll start with the NFC. And we'll do the NFC East deep dive. But before that, uh, was there any other news around the league, Jake? I saw that Akib Talib is joining Amazon's uh, Thursday night football coverage. Um, mainly for pre-game, half-time and post-game. So not commentary, just... Uh, on the desk and kind of adding his two pence um, and uh, apparently working on getting Andrew Whitworth, um, you know, the former Ram who's just retired. Um, that would be obviously great for anyone that's kind of wanting a bit of more information on offensive linemen, 
And I think, judging from kind of the, the players or ex-players that they're signing up, um, I think that could be a very good addition. Uh, definitely. I mean, sometimes the players who didn't play what we would consider a glamour position, you know, so not quarterback, wide receiver, running back. Um, sometimes it takes a player from these lesser known positions to give you a real insight into the way the game, you know, the intricacies of the game. I, I've already alluded to a few weeks ago when I spoke about Mark Schlereth, former offensive lineman for for Washington and then Denver laterally, and, and his insight into the game really made quite a, it made you look at it differently because you're taking it from the point of view of someone who's in the trenches every single play and the different things that they see and the way they look at the game. So I think having Whitworth will give almost a different angle to the the, the way the game is perceived in the booth. And I think that's, that's quite good because you look at all the other pundits, uh, you know, former players, I should say. It's all, you know, former quarterbacks, wide receivers. It's always running backs. And you never get the, the viewpoint of the guys who... You know, involved in every single play, uh, being the offensive line. I mean, you could argue, of course, the quarterbacks involved in every play, but uh, I think it's very good to see that from a different perspective. I mean, what's your view on that, Jake? I think Whitworth would be great. I think, like you're saying, there, I think it could really open um, doors. I, you know, Tony Romo certainly wasn't the first ex-quarterback to to be in the booth, but in modern times, because he's done so well. People are looking at Tom Brady, you know, Drew Brees tried it, you know, Philip Rivers goes in from time to time. Like you said, if Whitworth goes in, gets a chance, opens the door then for more offensive linemen or even defensive linemen to kind of get their opinion on those kind of matters. So I think if he does get the chance, I hope he takes it with both hands. Uh, And you never know, we might be seeing more big men represented. We often forget about the offensive and defensive linemen on the teams. Uh, And we always say they don't get any love. They do on this show. (laughs) <laughs> the big guys get all the love in this show and, and quite rightly so because it's different for someone like a wide receiver you know when they look at and again right I am just I'm totally speculating here because I don't know what wide receivers do when they're studying playbooks but I imagine you're told you know you run this route that route the next route or you're blocking here there or there offensive linemen just like the quarterback, need to know what everyone's doing on every single play. You've got to know not only what you're blocking, but where the person next to you is blocking. The guard has to know what the center's doing. He has to know what the tackle's doing. He has to know what the tight end's doing, the quarterback's doing, the running back's doing. And I think it's it's got to be a very cerebral process for these offensive linemen to play the game. We look at them often from a distance. You know, we're in the UK and we're looking at a sport thousands of miles away and we can look at it and see, you know, it's, it's as far as we're concerned, it's just a big, huge, fat guy. What's he doing? He's just pushing his weight on another big, huge, fat guy. And whoever's the biggest, heaviest, fastest, strongest is going to win the competition. And we often don't look at the intricacies. We don't look at the smaller parts where these linemen have to know exactly what every single person is doing. Because, yeah, they're saying, you know, 
the linebacker's coming in. He's going to hit the A-gap. You've got to cover the A-gap. You've got to do that. But where's the center going? He's doing this. Your tackle's pulling because it's a run play to this side. So these offensive linemen also have to read what the defense is doing at the same time. So they've got to know what their assignment is, as well as everyone else's assignment, and then react to what the defense is doing, never mind if the quarterback's calling an audible, and then you've got to change everything up. I think it's going to be great. I really do. These guys who are in the trenches really make the biggest difference. I mean, we've said it time and time again in this show. Games are won and lost on the offensive and defensive lines. Whoever wins the line of scrimmage wins the game, wins the championship, however you want to look at it. And yeah, and Whitworth is one of the best to ever do it. So um, yeah, good for him. I'd, I'd like to see that. I think, I think it'll be a, a, an insightful watch, I think, for Amazon Prime. So well done then. Yeah, like you say, it's just such a thankless task. You know, if a quarterback goes 65, 70%, they're crowned, you know, well, he's fantastic. He's in the prime of his life. If your left tackle goes, you know, 66%, two thirds, gets beat every third play, he's going to be hung out to dry very, very quickly. So it is just a thankless task. Um, so we, on this show, will always give some love to the big men. I think both you and I, Jake, uh, and, and probably Dave, maybe to a slightly lesser extent, Dave, but <laughs> definitely myself and yourself, Jake, we can appreciate a good offensive line. We've seen it ourselves. When uh, a quarterback has a good offensive line, they look like world beaters. We said this about Carson Wentz back in 2017, was it? When he looked like he was going to be the front runner for MVP prior to his injury. And it was purely because of the offensive line. If you give anyone, any quarterback worth his salt, seven, eight seconds in the pocket, he will dissect a defense. And we know this because we rag on quarterbacks quite often. <laughs> really do. I mean, there's me, you know, I'm a Broncos fan. And I looked at uh, quarterbacks over the past six years and I'm thinking, this rubbish. Case Keenum is rubbish. And Joe Flacco's rubbish. Well, Joe Flacco is rubbish. But, you know, I'm saying Case Keenum's rubbish and Drew Locke's terrible and Teddy Bridgewater's the worst. And of course he's not. If you put me behind that line, I would take a sack on every single play. Every one. Guaranteed. Because I wouldn't know what I was doing. These guys are capable quarterbacks. And if they've got any kind of protection, a good offensive line, then... You know, they can pick defences apart. But when they're running for their life on every play, that's, as you say, you know, percentages. We look at the stats and you say, oh, look at this. He only completed 60% of his passes. You say, well, yeah, but he's getting hit on every single time he threw the ball. 60% is not bad. If you only had half a second every time he dropped back, 60%, that's actually pretty good. We don't see these metrics. We only look at the stats. You know, you look at quarterback, Percentage completion, you know, yards per attempt, touchdowns, interceptions, how many times was he sacked? And even that's a lie because you look at quarterbacks who, you know, extend plays. Not every quarterback tries to extend plays. Uh, some do, some are very good at it, some aren't so good at it. So, yeah, definitely the, the, the offensive linemen and defensive linemen, that's me talking about quarterbacks all the time, defensive linemen got to get some love. Now, the only other news I really stumbled across isn't necessarily NFL-related to start off with, but I still loved it nonetheless. Um, the US Open Tennis Twitter account. Oh, I know um, I, I know where this yes. is. I know where this <laughs> yes, is going. Yes, it was fantastic. <clears throat> I'm going to... Okay, set the scene, Jake. Go on. 
So in the match between Nick Kyrgios and I think it was Stefan Titsipas, um, Kyrgios used his usual technique. He uses it quite a few times each game with an underhand serve. Mm-hmm. And the US Open Twitter, because obviously it worked, and in such a, a high-pressure moment, was singing his praises. And uh, at Seahattle, uh, oh no, at Seahawks fan two three one four responded, "Not a sport." Um, to this retweet from US Open, um, and they decided to reply quite uh, quite spectac- uh, spectacularly. Um, "Not a sport," says the person about to watch seventeen games of Drew Locke at quarterback. <laughs> Oh, and he has no idea what he's in for. No idea whatsoever. <laughs> that is a brutal burn. Ah, do you know, I'd love it when, when huge um, corporations or businesses, Twitter accounts, obviously have somebody doing it for them, you know. And then they'll see something and go, oh, I'm burning you. I'm gonna, you are going down with this one. Honestly, sometimes I, I I weep because I, as you know, Jake, we all are you, myself, yourself, and Dave. We're huge fans of the NFL. We love the NFL, but occasionally somebody, an NFL fan, and without sounding presumptuous here, or without trying to sound presumptuous, generally someone from the United States of America will comment on another sport and say it's, you know, this is nothing. And tennis is one of the largest sports on the planet. It's huge, right? So soccer is first. Football, uh, association football, is the biggest sport in the world. We all know this. Second place, you have things like tennis. You've got cricket. You've got rugby. These sports are multinational sports unfortunately american football is still generally confined to the united states you know american football and baseball basketball not so much that's that's really sort of crossed the international boundaries played all over the world uh basketball um i'm not sure about ice hockey i don't have any figures in front of me. But obviously Canada's huge with, with ice hockey. And I hate it when you see someone like... with it usually, It's usually with American football or baseball where they try to... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Denigrate another sport. And you're saying, oh, do you know what? Tennis is huge. Tennis is <laughs> massive. All over the entire planet... Uh, is uh, international tennis and I thought when I saw that tweet I (laughs) replied to it I thought that was absolutely brilliant and I love it when a multinational company or or, or corporation you can tell there was one person that day who was on Twitter (laughs) who was just looking at that went oh really is that what you think right and clearly he's either not a fan of the Seahawks or not a fan (laughs) of Drew Locke and he was like, I'm going to show you, mate. And I'm guessing that's the particular person who tweeted that from the US Open uh, Twitter account is from the States and not a Drew Locke fan or not a Seattle fan. I don't know where he or she uh, is from, but absolutely hilarious. I loved that. Either way, the, the admin on the US Open uh, tennis 
uh, Twitter account, who I'm sure is listening, you are welcome on the podcast anytime because we also don't like the Seahawks. <laughs> anytime, anytime anyone who doesn't like the Seahawks wants to come on this show, you are more than welcome at the WinFL show. Hit us up on Twitter. Yes, very good. So um, is that the end of the, the sort of news roundup there, Jake? Yes, that was the, the end of kind of the news that I could I could see um, on my, my travels back. Um, like I say, pretty quiet week. We're signing. Um, more moves in the booth. And yeah. then just so, Twitter. Twitter being Twitter. Unfortunately, we do have some sad news as well. We would have covered it earlier. As I say, last week, we've had to delay this show. Um, but we were reporting last week about the death of a Baltimore Ravens player. And uh, just as we were finishing our podcast, it was actually announced the death of Tony Siragusa, the former Ravens player, uh, an incredible player and an absolutely integral part of that Ravens defence through the, the 2000s and, of course, the, the actual the year 2000 when they went to the Super Bowl. Tony Siragusa, tragic death at the age of 55. And it's just, it was so sad. And, of course, he made his own uh, appearances as a as a pundit or I say as an analyst, and uh, Tony Sugis are just an absolute shame. Our, our thoughts and prayers go out to the family there, and we you know deepest sympathies to the family of Tony Sugis. And of course, I can't talk about Tony Sugis without mentioning the fact that he actually starred in four episodes of the greatest television show ever made, in my opinion, uh, The Sopranos. Uh, Tony Sigurdsson was in four episodes of that, and uh, uh, real sympathies to the family and friends of Tony Sigurdsson there. There was also another death, which was that of Marlon Briscoe. Now, Marlon Briscoe, not not a name perhaps as famous as Tony Sigurdsson. He died at the age of seventy-six. Uh, Marlon Briscoe was actually the very first black quarterback in the NFL, or the, uh, the AFL, I should say. And uh, Marlon Briscoe was an absolute just a pioneer of the game. He was originally from Omaha and uh, he was drafted as a cornerback originally in 1968 and he was given a chance by the Denver Broncos. He was only 5 foot 10. Of course, he was named the Magician, his name being Marlin. In his first game against the Boston Patriots, he was a reserve and he almost completed a, a comeback and uh, he recorded his first start uh, very week later. Marlon Briscoe was just an, an absolute pioneer for black quarterbacks in the in the NFL. Uh, prior to that, a lot of owners at the time, keep in mind this was a very, very different time to what we're living in just now, um, a lot of people and owners in the NFL did not think that people of African-American descent were cerebral enough to play the quarterback position. They figured it was just too, too difficult uh, for people to be able to do, and Marlon Briscoe put everyone wrong unfortunately after that it took many many years until uh black quarterbacks were considered a, a thing that just could be you know accepted as the norm you had other players of course like warren moon and randall cunningham through the 70s and 80s who just completely blew that out of the water but marlon briscoe was the very first one and um, R.I.P. Marlon Briscoe, and once again, our deep sympathies to him, his family, uh, and his friends. And moving on, we are now going to be taking our deep dive this week into the AFC West. Now, I'm going to apologise to you in advance, Jake, because you know I'm going to be banging on about Denver Broncos in this. So, um, 
I'll try not to talk too much, uh, but we will look, of course, at the four teams in the AFC West, starting with the Kansas City Chiefs last year, went uh, 12 and 5. We then had the Las Vegas Raiders, were 10 and 7. The Los Angeles Chargers were 9 and 8. And the Denver Broncos finished at the bottom at 7 and 10. But we're going to start with the Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, they had the huge loss of Tyreek Hill. Now, some people seem to say that uh, for some bizarre reason, that the loss of Tyree Kill means that the Chiefs will either not win the division or will not even make the playoffs this year. And I, for one, don't think that's even a question. I think the Chiefs will still win the division. I think they will still make the playoffs. But, you know, Tyree Kill is a big loss to them, but they did get Juju Smith-Schuster. You know, they did make some changes. They did lose both safeties they lost Dan Matthew and of course they lost Daniel Sorensen as well was that both to the Saints yes <laughs> Bo- both of them went to the Saints so there you go so the Chiefs are both safeties to the Saints uh, but Jake give me your thoughts on the Kansas City Chiefs going into 2022 what do you think yeah like you've kind of touched on there I think Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes will make the loss of Tyreek Hill look like a genius move like you mentioned that they brought in Juju uh, they also brought in um, MVS, Valdez Scantlin from Green Bay. Um, and then at the safety, they they chose to sign um, Justin Reed from the Texans rather than keeping uh, Tyron Matthew. Um, they also brought in Ronald Jones and I think it was Lonnie Johnson from the Texans as well. And uh, so it's certainly been busy. Based on the 2022 two win projections, which is what I've kind of looked at for the AFC West. They have the hardest schedule in the NFL. Um, so that that's your kind of reward for coming first in the division. Um, AFC West has a very tough uh, matchup with the NFC West um, and the AFC South. Um, so a lot of these teams do get to play the Jaguars and the Texans. So that's, that, that's you know, the positive. Uh, the bad thing is they all have to play the Rams um, as for the Chiefs, really, the f- things that kind of stuck out to me, um, four of their first seven games are on the road. Uh, they got an early week eight bye, uh, and then post-bye, they do get to play uh, the aforementioned Jags and the Texans. Also get to play the Seahawks, um, but they've got a really tough kind of stretch here. Week 11 to 14, um, three of the four games are on the road, which is the Chargers, the Bengals, and the Broncos. And the one of the home games in between is against the Rams, so it's hardly, you know, Welcome back home to Arrowhead. You're hosting the Rams. So they, they really do have a tough schedule. The divisions got a lot better. Their over-under is now sat at 10.5, so it's expecting them to drop up a little bit. Uh, but like you say, I still expect them to be there and thereabouts. It's just got a lot harder for them. It definitely has, but... I think most of the Chiefs' problems last year came from the defensive side of the football. It certainly seemed to be that way. Patrick Mahomes was still doing his thing. He was still slinging the ball everywhere. They were still scoring points. But they they seemed to not be able to get teams off the field defensively. Uh, not that they allowed, you know, like massive amounts of touchdowns or, you know, huge scoring plays. It, it just seemed that... It was almost like Patrick Mahomes and the offense didn't have as many opportunities to score. Now, now don't get me wrong, they still finished second in the division in scoring. They scored 480 points last year. But the problem was was the defense. It, they just seemed to be letting teams do long drives on them. And which, of course, is what every team wants to do when you're playing <laughs> when you're playing an Andy Reid, uh, Mahomes-led offense. Keep them off the field. You know they, they can't hurt you sitting on the bench. 
You know, run up your eight and nine minute drives. That's the way to do it. The defense did not seem to be able to stop people from doing this, converting third down time and time again. I think the Chiefs will not miss Tidy Kill half as much as Tidy Kill thinks they will. Um, I, I, I don't know if you saw, Jake, um, Tidy Kill was actually on a, I don't know if it's a podcast or a YouTube channel, but he suggested that Tua is more accurate than Patrick Mahomes is. Yeah, I've seen a few yeah. a few things he's been saying. That's very interesting. I mean, Tua is ten times better than uh, was it Matt Moore? Matt yeah. Moore? I think it was Matt Moore. Yeah, Matt Moore. You know, he said, "Oh, Mahomes is a as a stronger arm than Tua, but oh, as far as accuracy goes, Tua's far more accurate." And you know, I was sitting there watching that, thinking. I'm all for, you know, defending your guy, but nobody, <laughs> it's like nobody believes you when you say that Tua is far more accurate than Patrick Mahomes is. is that, I, no, I'm sorry. I don't buy it. Don't buy it at all. If he'd said Tua is tougher than Patrick Mahomes, I could buy that. If he said Tua is Taller than Patrick Mahomes? Possibly. I have no idea of the height of those guys. If he said he weighs more, yeah, maybe. Okay, I'll, I'll buy that. If he said Tua is more intelligent, has a higher IQ, he might do. I don't know. But to say that he's far more accurate, when we've both, when we've all seen Tua play and we've all seen Mahomes play, I'm sorry, I don't buy it. And I just think, ah, you, you shouldn't have said that. I'm not sure. I don't think the Chiefs play the Dolphins this year, do they? I don't think so. Um, <laughs> not as far as I'm aware. No, so I would think if that was the case, Patrick Mahomes would be saying, yeah, you, you want to see something? I'll show you accuracy. Um, I, I, I don't know how anyone can possibly bet against Patrick Mahomes, ever. I, I don't... I, you know, I watch Patrick Mahomes play and it's like, honestly, do you know what it's like? It's like watching Dan Marino in the 80s. You're terrified when this guy's on the ball. As an, as an opposing team, you watch this guy play and you think he looks unstoppable. Now, obviously, there's been games where he's clearly not. But every time you, you're playing against him, you think, oh, why? Why does this guy keep doing this? I'll never forget. Never forget the game. And I think it was in Mahomes' second season or his first starting season where they were playing the Broncos. And uh, Von Miller was chasing Patrick Mahomes all over the backfield. It was relentless. And Mahomes kept getting away and throwing, you know, as he was being tackled. And there was one play where he threw it with his left hand. I, I, how do you do that? The guy's literally, he had Von Miller draped over him. And as he's going to the ground, he swaps the ball from his right hand to his left hand and then throws the ball with his left hand for a first down. Are you thinking, right, behave yourself, Patrick. Stop it. Don't like it. Uh, just because he's so good. I, I love Patrick Mahomes. I hate the fact that he plays with Kansas City because he's a division rival. But he is, do you know what? I think he's my favorite quarterback probably since Peyton Manning when he was with the Colts. I, I reckon Patrick Mahomes is my favourite quarterback. He's just, he's so much fun to watch. He's so good. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer already. That's, uh, in my opinion, if he retired tomorrow, he should go waltz into the Hall of Fame. And I don't care what anyone says because 
He is the most talented quarterback that I've seen in 20 years, easily. And I know people will argue and they'll say Aaron Rodgers is this and yeah, Aaron Rodgers is incredible. But as pure talent goes, I think Patrick Mahomes, in fact, you know what? I'm, I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to say Patrick Mahomes is the most talented quarterback since John Elway. And he may even surpass John Elway on talent alone. And that's hard for me to say as a Broncos fan. But I'm, I'm going to put it out there. That's how good I think Patrick Mahomes is. And it hurts me to say that. I think the Chiefs do agree with you, though, about the, the defence. I mean, the, in the draft, they, they spent their two first-round picks. Obviously, one of them coming from Tyreek Hill, both on the, the defence with George Carl Aftus and, and Trent McDuffie. So it's definitely something they're aware of, I think. And, you know, it's one of these teams that, because they've got Andy Reid, because they've got Patrick Mahomes, you know, they've got the toughest schedule. I still trust them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and yeah, they lost Tyreek Hill. Do you know what? They've still got Travis Kelsey. All, all this means trading Tyreek Hill and signing uh, Judy Smith-Schuster and Dave Aldis-Scantling, all this means is that um, uh, Travis Kelsey might get a few more targets this year. That, that, that's, all, that's the only difference I see to this. And I know people are saying, oh, well, you know, Tyreek Hill, he's so fast, he's going to destroy defences in Miami. Well, do you know what? Jalen Waddell is insanely fast and he didn't destroy many defences in Miami. Because it doesn't matter how fast your quarterback is, uh, sorry, your wide receiver is, if your quarterback can't get the ball to him. And uh, I think Miami's offensive line is considerably worse than Kansas City's. So, sorry Dolphins fans, but I don't think having Tidy Kill will have the effect that a lot of people think it will. And I don't think the loss of Tidy Kill will have the effect on the Chiefs that a lot of people think it will. So, I'm with you, Jake. I think the Chiefs are just going to waltz into the playoffs again. Regardless, they, they may have a slight downturn with the loss of Tyree Kill. It, it might be a factor. But as you said, you know, they beefed up the defence. And um, I think that, that was what they were failing in last year. So I think the Chiefs are going to be absolutely fine. If they don't win the division, I think they'll still make the playoffs this year. Uh, so moving on, uh, second place last year was the Las Vegas Raiders. I think it's fairly safe to say that they had a tumultuous 2021. Um, obviously, with the John Gruden fiasco, uh, there was the awful tragedy that involved Henry Ruggs. And there was various other things that happened to the, the team. But it, it just seems to be adding on to a long line of issues that the Raiders have had over the years, even you know before they moved to Las Vegas. Uh, they did finish 10 and 7. They did sign Devontae Adams and a Chandler Chandler Jones. Am I right there? You are indeed. I am. <laughs> I was thinking, so Chandler Jones. It was Chandler Jones. They did sign Chandler Jones. So they've beefed up the offense. They've beefed up the defense uh, with two signings. Regardless of anything else that's happened, offense has improved. If Josh Jacobs stays healthy... They've still got Darren Waller. They've still got Hunter Renfro. That could be a scary good offense in Las Vegas. And their defense, once again, didn't really lose anything. But they gained Chandler Jones. Massive upgrade as far as I'm concerned. They've still got Max Crosby. The Raiders could be absolutely huge this year. Jake, what's your take on Las Vegas? Yeah, I think on the pitch... I, I really like them. I mean, they, they've kept their core and, and kind of paid their core. Um, Hunter Renfro, Max Crosby and Derek Carr all getting new deals. 
And like you say, that big trade for Devontae Adams and giving him a new deal, um, bringing in someone like Chandler Jones is fantastic. My biggest worry is kind of off the field in terms of the, the front of house and even you know the head coach. We've seen them head coach before and it wasn't particularly pretty. So they have the third hardest schedule based on the win predictions. That's kind of their, their prize for coming second last year. Their over-under is the lowest in the division by pretty much two full games because they've got such a tough schedule very similar to the Chiefs. Uh, a really early bye, week six bye. Um, the, one of the things that kind of stuck out to me is they play the Cardinals early, so there's no DeAndre Hopkins. Um, week 15, McDaniels hosts the Patriots. That'll definitely be one to kind of look out for. <laughs> um, McDaniels. McDaniels against the Patriots again. Oh my goodness. Again. Again. I think they, have, I think they play in preseason and then again in week 15. Oh, um, I, just, I was looking... Even, no, I was just gonna, even two of their more winnable games, um, if you look at it on paper in terms of the Steelers and the 49ers, in my opinion, come at the wrong time. They come right at the end of the season, week 16 and 17, meaning if there is any kind of quarterback controversy or issues with, you know, Trey Lance, you know, is it going to be Kenny Pickett, is it going to be Mitch? Um, by that point, those teams would have sorted out. So you kind of, they're probably the teams you want to play early, get them out of the way, um, whilst there might be issues, but it's a very tough schedule. I do like what they're doing in terms of their core. You know, they've brought in two kind of massive names there, but I do worry kind of if the wheels start to come off, um, is McDaniels the kind of guy to guide them back on? To be honest with you, no. Uh, I, I, I don't think, yes, I've, I've yet to see anything to change my mind about Josh McDaniels. And I always like to give people a second chance. Well, not generally when they're cutting the Raiders because I'm a Broncos fan. So I, I don't want to see that at all. I just, I don't think McDaniels, I mean, you know, I could be completely wrong. Maybe McDaniels learned from his first couple of stints coaching. And, and maybe he's a more humble person than he, he was when he thought when he, when he took over uh, the Broncos, he thought he was this offensive genius. He thought he was the man because he'd coached uh, in New England and he thought he was just going to be the, the, the greatest thing ever. And we've, we've mentioned this before. Or, sorry, I've mentioned this before. When, uh, when Mike Shanahan was the coach of the Denver Broncos and um, he stepped down following, I think it was an 8-8 eight eight season or 9-7 season, Mike Shanahan, who I think we can all agree is, or, or you know, at least was at an absolute offensive genius, uh, said on in his, his leaving sort of statement to the Broncos, and he said, I, I don't know who the next guy is going to be. He says, but he'd be crazy to change this offense. And he was right, because at the time, you know, Jay Cutler was turning into a Pro Bowl quarterback. You had like Brandon Marshall and Eddie Royal, wide receiver. Uh, they, they, they were looking really potent offensively. And the first thing Josh McDaniels did when he came into Denver was trade Jay Cutler for Kyle Orton. And nobody, nobody in Denver could believe this. In fact, no one in the league could believe this. You're like, what are you doing? You're trading someone who was in their prime. I believe Jay Cutler was about 24, 25 at the time. He was coming off a 4,000-yard season. Uh, he was... He developed a real chemistry with Brandon Marshall. Brandon Marshall was looking incredible at this point. As he was trading Jay Cutler, Brandon Marshall had said, if you trade him, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm not going to play for you. And uh, Josh McDaniels was like, oh, no, no, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to trade our Pro Bowl quarterback for Kyle Orton from the Chicago Bears. 
And then uh, Brian Marshall went, okay, fine, I'm off, I'm gone. And he went to the Chicago Bears. And then, you know, Jake Hutton made another Pro Bowl. <laughs> so did Brandon Marshall and Kyle Orton did nothing and eventually got replaced by Tim Tebow. But anyway, I digress. Uh, this is just me ranting again. I apologise, Jake. You know, I do this every week. I always just digress and go off on tangents and have my wee rant to myself. But anyway, I, I have to do that because I think Josh McDaniels famously said in a game against the New England Patriots, I don't care about anything for the rest of this year. He said, I don't care what happens. I just want to win this game. And do you know what? I believed him. He didn't care if the Broncos didn't win another game the entire time he was there, as long as they beat the New England Patriots. And I still think he has that philosophy. And I think he'll have that philosophy with the Raiders. And as far as I'm concerned, if the Raiders win one game this year and it's against the Patriots, Josh McDaniels will be happy. I think they're going to be one of the most interesting teams to watch. I think their ceiling is about as high as you can be in terms of what they could be. Um, But their floor, especially in this division, as far as I'm aware, their floor is is the, the lowest. I think that it's one of the teams that if they, you know, won 12 games... Um, won the division, it wouldn't surprise me. If they won, say, six games, came bottom of the division and imploded, it wouldn't surprise me. So, no, no, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm all here for it. Yep, you're absolutely right. They have the, ta- they have the talent. The Raiders have the talent, and I'm. You know, people will say I'm exaggerating. No, the Raiders have the talent to win 14 or 15 games this year. If they went 15 and two, I'd be like, wow, you know, good for them. They've got the talent to do it. Offensively, defensively, they, they are stacked right across the board. They really are, especially, especially if Josh Jacobs can stay healthy. Because we we've all um we've all spoken about Carr. He's got to be probably the most underrated quarterback in the entire NFL. He's now got a really good receiving core. And this is it's top class. You could argue it's the best in the NFL. You really could. With uh, Devontae Adams and uh, Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. I mean, you're saying, you know, you've got arguably the best slot receiver in the NFL. You've got arguably, arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL. And arguably the best tight end in the NFL. I mean, you could argue that. Now, not everyone's going to agree with you, but, you, you know, you could. You could say that's the three best in the entire league. You combine that with Josh Jacobs and then Cara quarterback. That That's ridiculous. And then what they've done on the defensive side of the ball, they're already a Max Crosby. He's a monster. And then you sign Chandler Jones, and, you know, the secondary is stacked. The linebackers are good. They could win 15 games this year. I don't think they will. <laughs> I don't think they will purely because of Josh McDaniels. I think he will do something that will just tear this team apart. I've got them finishing 10-7. and seven. But I would not, as you say, Jake, I would not be surprised if they win the division. And I would not be surprised if they won five games. It it won't surprise me at all, purely because it's the Raiders. And I think the Raiders just have so many internal problems. I don't think they're over the Gruden thing. It it sounds kind of silly to say that. But I I think there's still an underlying issue that they, they need to just sort of clean out. It might take them another year or two to do that. But yeah, I'm with you. They, they could win the division. They could be bottom of the division. That's, that's what I've got for the Raiders this year. 
So moving on, we then have the Los Angeles Chargers. Last year, they were 9-8. and eight. Justin Herbert, of course, was an absolute sensation. I mean, we all saw that. And in the offseason, they went and signed one Khalil Mack uh, on the defensive side of the ball to go across from Joey Bosa. The Chargers are looking very strong indeed going into this year. We'll see. They've been, again, one of those teams where you look at them on paper and say they can beat every single team in the NFL. It's just a case of whether or not they do. So, Jake, what have you got for the Los Angeles Chargers going into 2022? Well, the good news in terms of because they finished third, uh, even in this division, um, was, you know, ridiculous interdivision games. They're playing the NFC West. They've managed to avoid a top 10 harder schedule uh, based on this year's win predictions. So that is some good news. Um, week five, they play the Browns, which I'm going to take an estimate or a guess that um, Jacoby Brissett will be the quarterback at that point because mm-hmm. even if the NFL are nice, it's probably going to be six games, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, so in my, uh, I've kind of wrote that down that that could be a, a, an easy win. Uh, they play the Falcons. Uh, they get to obviously play the AFC South. Um, but the last three games are just brutal. They they play at the Colts on Monday Night Football, then technically home against the Rams, but they share a stadium and it's definitely going to be more Ram-sided. Um, and then they finish at Denver. Um, so that's a, a brutal uh, last three games. They'll certainly want to have you know, the playoffs wrapped up by that point, I would imagine. Um, they got a week eight bye. Um, but in terms of what they've done... Their defense is just flat out ridiculous. I mean, they've brought in JC Jackson, um, Calvin Noy, Bryce Callahan, not forgetting, you know, a certain Khalil Mack. That, the, the defense from top to bottom, I was looking at the depth chart, you know, oh, wow, they've got such a great uh, D line. That's fantastic. Oh, I really like their linebacking core. And then you look at their secondary, and it's probably one of the best secondaries in the league. And you're just thinking, where's, where's the weakness? Um, it's certainly going to make this division a lot easier for them when they can actually rely on a defense while still having, obviously, a great quarterback and, and a good offense. So I'm very confident about the Chargers. I'm pretty sure when we spoke, I, I rated the Chargers higher than most. I, I'm I'm all in on, on the Chargers. I'm looking forward to watching them play. and I'm looking forward to watching that defense play. Going back to last year, only two games last year... The, the defense held their opponents under 20 points. But on the flip side of that, on only three occasions, did their offense score less than 20 points. Um, they, and they're, they're one of those teams, they're so, they're so polarizing because you look at the talent level and you think, oh my goodness. The char- and Justin Herbert is just playing... Li- if he continues on his trajectory from his first two seasons... This guy is going to be an unbelievable quarterback for the next decade. And they've got loads of talent, offensively and defensively. As you mentioned, the defense, the Chargers, you know what? Just like the Raiders, they could win 14, 15 games this year. Or six or seven, because it's it's so hard. And in this, in this division, when you're playing the Chiefs twice, the Raiders twice, the Broncos twice, that's really, really difficult. That could be potentially six losses or six wins. And it, it's difficult to, to say, you know, is it going to be three and three in the division? There's no way to tell. I think the, I think the Chargers are, on paper, one of the best teams in the NFL. I think they might have a top, top six, top seven roster for talent. 
in the league, if they can translate that into wins, they should be in the postseason next year. Now, I've already said this. I, I firmly believe that three of the four teams in the AFC West will make the postseason. It could be all four. I, that's a stretch. I don't think it's going to happen. But I firmly believe three, and I think the Chargers are a real shot of being there in the postseason next year. I think it's all going to come down to um, how does Justin Herbert react on his third season because the defense has improved offensively, there's been improvement, but it's been incremental. It's not been huge strides like they made in the defense. The, the, the defensive leap they've made has been just gigantic. So I think that the defense will be really good for the Chargers. I hope that Justin Herbert does uh, in, improve, you know, continue to improve the way he's been doing. If he does, I mean, I think, I believe he broke Dan Marino's record for the most touchdowns in a player's first two seasons. Uh, most touchdown passes, I should say in a quarterback's first two seasons. And I don't see him slowing down at any point, barring injuries, of course. You know, if the offensive line gets banged up or something, he could be under more pressure. But yeah, I think uh, Justin Herbert uh, could be really good. I think the Chargers could be really good. And uh, although you've alluded, Jake, you know, as you say, the, the strength of schedule, particularly that end, that ending schedule, that's really difficult. What do you see those those last few games were? Uh, at Colts on Monday Night Football, home yeah. technically against the Rams and yeah. then at Denver. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the Colts, that's going to be brutal. The Rams game, I think you're right there. That's, although it's a, technically a home game, the Rams are the more popular team in Los Angeles. So there'll probably more, be more Rams fans there than actual Chargers fans. At Denver, we'll need to wait and see on that one, see how the Broncos do. But yeah, that, it's still tough. Uh, playing in Denver is always going to be tough, regardless of how good or bad the Broncos are, purely because of the elevation. Altitude sickness is a real thing. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see how they get on. But I think the Chargers can do a lot this year. I think they, they could have a good record. Yeah, that, that's that's my biggest worry for the Chargers, is in the division, you've got Denver, Mile High, uh, you've got Kansas City with Arrowhead, and you've even got the Raiders with, you know, the Black Hole. They don't have a home field advantage, you know, or as much as a home field advantage as other teams. And that, in especially division games, can certainly play a complete, you know, that could, you know, swing the game. So they're certainly going to need LA fans to, to turn up and give them the support. I mean, they've got an exciting team, so there's no reason not to. Um, but they're definitely, it, it may, maybe just me from, you know, football or, or soccer, as the Americans would call it, home field advantage in terms of, getting the crowd behind you that that is the weakness for me for the Chargers compared to the others in the division the problem is it almost seemed like they suffered from this in San Diego they, they never really had big crowds or sorry I should say like big home crowds so there was obviously a lot of traveling you know away support that were out um what's 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 the term out voluming that's not right what is it out shouting out screaming uh the home fans and that, that's not what you want you know, you want to be quiet when you're in offense. You want to be loud when the other team's on offense. That, that's what you want. It, it's been hard for the Chargers for many years. But I think, do you know what? I think if they get a few, especially if they do well early in the season, I think if they get a few wins under their belt, start to look like a proper playoff team. Obviously, depending on what the Rams do. Because, I mean, let's face it, the Rams won the Super Bowl. The, the chances of uh, Chargers fans outweighing Rams fans in that game is pretty slim. But you know what? 
If the Chargers actually do perform to their talent level, and by that point they've won 13 games, the Rams have only won 8, then, you know, maybe the Chargers will have a home field advantage, but it, it'll it'll be difficult. Uh, I, I hope to see Herbert doing well at least, um, and that, that defence looks scary. Khalil Mack, um, and I've, I've seen people on Twitter saying, you know, he's in his 30s, he's not the same guy he used to be. He doesn't need to be the same guy he used to be because he's got Joey Bosa on the other side. He really doesn't need it. It was like last year when the Rams signed Von Miller. Oh, he's not the same as he used to be. Who cares? He's got Aiden Donald. It's he just needs to be the guy that he used to be for you know four games in the playoffs. That's all he needs. He doesn't need to play an entire season like that. So I, I think, and I think Khalil Mack is as much a game changer as anyone in the league. He's an exceptional talent, Khalil Mack, and a huge update. And as you've mentioned, J.C. Horn. What a signing. J.C. Jackson. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I've said J.C. Horn twice now. J.C. Jackson. Just unbelievable signing. It really is. That has, that has but a huge upgrade on the secondary there. Huge they got him there. early as well. So they, they, they paid for him and everyone was like, oh, that's you know a pretty good deal. And then more and more quarterbacks got cov- uh, yeah. paid and they were like, hold on. Chargers has got a really good deal here. They really did. They really did. It's, it's sometimes it's good to get your, your foot in the door first. <laughs> Avoid the huge contracts. But, you know, oh, we'll get it done now before everyone jumps in the bandwagon for signing massive contracts. Uh, so, yeah. The, the highest paid player for a couple of weeks before someone else goes and breaks it. <laughs> so, so, I think, uh, are, we, are we still waiting on Lamar Jackson's contract? <laughs> oh yeah, I think we'll be waiting a while for that. I think I, I'm just trying to think how much is that going to be, you know? And I think uh, do you remember the other week there when when Dave was talking about Justin Jefferson with the Vikings, mm-hmm. uh, and then they were uh, something came out on Twitter about the possibility, <laughs> possible future contracts for Justin Jefferson. <laughs> they were like, there was only like a billion dollars. And I mean, what? Crazy. Yes, he's worth twice as much as Mahomes. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. I'm not sure he's worth twice as much as Mahomes, but you know what? But with all the other wide receiver contracts that have been thrown about, Justin Jefferson's going to be sitting going, "I cannot wait. I cannot wait until my what is it? His third year. His third year is finished. And I, yep, I'm going to be commanding huge money, huge money. I'm quite right. Good for him." Uh, so moving on to the final team in our AFC West deep dive, we do come to the Denver Broncos. Last year, they finished seven and ten, bottom of the AFC West. Of course, we do have to talk about the massive, massive trade that was made when they signed Russell Wilson. In exchange, they gave up uh, Drew Locke, they gave up Noah Fant, uh, they gave up Shelby Harris, still a gut punch, and uh, some uh, draft picks as well. For Russell Wilson, but the Broncos did legitimately look like a team, a franchise quarterback away from being a legitimate playoff contender. They went out and did that. Of course, that was thanks to uh, the new general manager that they got in place there. They did, of course, also get rid of uh, Vic Fangio and Pat Shermer. I've never been happier that anyone has been fired as when Pat Shermer got fired from the Denver Broncos. But Jake, uh, before I go off on a 10-minute talk about this can you give me your thoughts on the 2022 denver broncos yeah they've got a, a favorable schedule compared to the rest of the division thanks to coming bottom last year i mean they start at seattle they have the texans in week two uh, they get to play the uh, jets obviously play the jags in london um, i think they've got a week nine bye after the jags game 
they get to play the Panthers in week 12. But after that, week 13 to the end of the season, at Ravens, home to the Chiefs, home to the Cardinals. I mean, I think that's week 16, so the Cardinals probably have imploded by that point. Um, but then at Rams, at Chiefs, and the end with home against the Chargers. It's just a brutal end. So I, I really hope, for your sake, they got off to a hot start. And like I say, they play some um, relatively easy teams early on, so they, they should hopefully um, rack up some wins nice and early, get a bit of confidence, and then you never know, you know, if things are, are clicking and there's a high confidence, <laughs> these tougher games don't look as tough then. That's, that's quite a stretch to end the season. Yeah, that's, uh, really? I was You're looking like, at it and I was like, what? at what point does it get better? And I was like, I suppose the Cardinals, we, you know, I think it's like 15 or 16, I was like, Cardinals point probably imploded, but... <laughs> so that's, good a, as it gets. that's a rough end of the season it really is um, I, I was looking at the, the Broncos and now as everyone will already know I'm a huge Broncos fan that's why I am I'm going to go and see them actually uh, play the Jaguars in London on, on October 30, 30th yeah October 30th I'll be going down to see uh, the Broncos take on the Jacksonville Jaguars I'm looking forward to that last year defensively the, the Broncos were the third best in the division you know, they allowed 322 points. Third in the conference, beg your pardon. Third in the conference defensively. Offensively, they were one of the worst in the conference. But that's that's talking about points. Uh, now, here we go. I hope you've, you should make yourself comfortable now, Jake. Um, and and I'll, I'll give myself a second and I'll take a, a small drink here. So, the Denver Broncos. Signing Russell Wilson... Many, many weeks ago, when we, in fact, I think it was a second or third week when we started this podcast, we were talking about the Broncos hadn't signed a quarterback at this point. And we were talking about uh, possible free agents, possible signings. There was rumours about Aiden Rodgers. Uh, there was rumours about Sean Watson. And there was rumours about Russell Wilson. And I had said, if all the off-field nonsense went away, my first choice would be Deshaun Watson. Now, obviously, that off-field nonsense didn't go away. In fact, it's very much still in play as we speak. That's still going on. And then I'd said, if that didn't happen, my second choice would be Russell Wilson over Aaron Rodgers. Now, that was sort of a, a twofold reason. First of all, obviously, to do with age. Russell Wilson is six years younger than Aaron Rodgers. So you, you just assume by... Um, extrapolation that you'll get a few more years at your quarterback from that age. The other thing was that the more and more the the Aaron Rodgers saga went on at Green Bay, the more and more I went off him, uh, sort of as a person, and I didn't really like it. It, it. it sounds like a silly thing to say, but you know I was watching interviews with him, and I think it was on the Pat McAfee show, and I saw some stuff on NFL.com and that. And the way he was talking, and I thought, you know what, I don't like Aaron Rodgers as a person. Now, I'm the first to hold up my hands and say, Aaron Rodgers is one of the most talented quarterbacks to ever play the game. First ball of Hall of Fame. When he retires, straight in. But there was things, that we, the way he was seeing things and the way he was reacting to certain things, I was like, he is so much of a diva. It was just doing my boxing. So I thought I would rather have Russell Wilson. On my team. Because people say, oh, Russell Wilson, he's really boring. He's a boring guy. He's a nerd. He's cheesy. He's corny. I don't care. I don't care about any of that. I really don't care. Russell Wilson 
is the probably, and I'd said this the other week when we spoke with AFC South, how the, the upgrade from Matt Ryan over Carson Wentz was huge. I think the only thing I could compare it to is the upgrade from Russell Wilson over what the Broncos had last year. And I, and I don't want to take anything away from Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke, particularly Teddy Bridgewater, because I think he did what was expected of him. And I don't blame anything that went wrong with the Broncos' offense last year on either of the quarterbacks, because to my mind, it was all Pat Shermer's offense. His play calling was absolutely abominable. And I actually, I watched a video uh, a couple of days ago, and I forget who it was, and I want to say it was a guy called Mile High Mario, but I, I could be mistaken. It was on... Um, the uh, That's Good Sports with Brandon Pern and Will Keyes. And he was talking about how Sherman had actually drawn up plays where Jerry Judy, who, by the way, did not have a single of single touchdown reception last year, he was drawing up plays that would not let Jerry Judy run routes past 10 yards. Now, I want to put this into perspective for anyone who's listening to this. Jerry Judy coming out of college and still today, this, this will be his uh, third year in the league, is considered one of the best route runners in the entire league. Like one, one of the best to gain separation. And the offensive coordinator is telling him, I don't want you to run any routes past 10 yards. And you think, why would you do this? And when I heard this, I was like, what, what, what? That, that makes no sense. But then when you watch the Broncos games, and you're like, well, that kind of explains why every time the Broncos were in third and 10 and third and 11 and third and 12, which, by the way, they were a lot of third and 10s, 11, 12 and 15. It was relentless third and longs. The passes were always going seven or eight yards. Like every single Time and I think that was actually a joke. Uh, I don't know if it was Andrew Mason on Twitter who'd said, Do you know what? I guarantee if the Broncos had fourth and inches, Pat Sherman would draw up a play that was to throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage. It, it, it was just, it seemed every single time they were in third and whatever, the play call was always behind the the line to gain the first down. Every single time. Now I could be remembering this wrong I could be but I don't think I am because <laughs> I have vivid memories of screaming at my television saying it's third and ten why are you throwing a three yard slant route why isn't it a ten yard slant route or it's third and five why are you throwing a one yard screen pass throw it five yards to do something anything to get you to get a first down and the Broncos were concerned there was actually a thing where they were talking about Vic Fangio last year went for it on fourth down like twice as much as anyone else it's like yeah there's a reason for that they were always in fourth down because they never ever converted a third down because they were constantly short by one or two yards it was ridiculous ridiculous i couldn't believe it and i'm sitting there going why is why does this man have a job in the nfl because you have to say to yourself honestly jake i want to put it to you right if you're the offensive coordinator for the new orleans saints your team right this is well, well do you know what we'll throw back to last year and then uh your, your, your man 
Uh, Peyton comes up to you and says, Right, Jake, it's third and five. We need five yards. What are we going to call here? Should we run a two-yard slant? What would you say, Jake? What would you say to that? Two-yard slant on third and five. What do you reckon? I think Sean Payne would say, we're going to throw a screen to Alvin Kamara, um, and we're just going to see where it goes. Um, but for me, obviously, the aim is get to the first down marker. It's, <laughs> it's not <laughs> rocket science. It's not. You know, how many yards do we have for a first down? Uh, it's uh, third and five. Uh, let's, let's throw a one-yard slant. <laughs> Why? Why would you do that? Uh, honestly, but it didn't matter what the distance was. See, if it was like third and 15, it would be like a 12-yard route. And, like, and force your, your guys to make, make people miss. What? Just just run another three yards. Noah Fant must have caught a dozen, if not 20 passes, two yards shy of the line to gain. I think it tackled. But like, well, that's that's what happens. I, I don't know what Pat Shermer was thinking of when, oh, honestly, when he got fired, I was like, thank the Lord Almighty, Pat Shermer has been fired. Now, I did not want Vic Fangio to get fired. I did not want that because I think Vic Fangio would be a, was a good head coach. Although, got to admit, whoever was telling him from the booth to throw those challenge flags, he, he should have been shot. Never mind fired. Absolutely despicable, despicable challenges. But defensively, the Broncos were great last year. They were the third best in the entire conference. And how you are the third best in conference, considering the fact that you constantly gave the opposing team short fields, is beyond me. But that's a testament to how good Fangio's defense was last year. Uh, but Pat Shermer, just absolutely useless. I don't know if he's on a team this year, but he shouldn't be. And if anyone who has any connection to any NFL team is listening to this and you know that Pat Shermer is going to any other NFL team, you should warn them and tell them not to hire Pat Shermer because he is the worst offensive coordinator in the history of the NFL. And I don't care what anyone says. It's a fact. He is appalling. He is the reason... The Broncos went 7-10 and 10 last year. It's got nothing to do with Fangio. Nothing to do with the head coach. It's all on Pat Sherman, whose who's, who's blocking schemes, right? I'm telling you, right? His run blocking schemes. He would run these when it was a pass play. And he'd be pulling guards and tackles. And the quarterback standing there. And all of a sudden, you've got a defensive end and a linebacker coming at you. You're like, it's a pass play. Why are you pulling guards and tackles? No one thinks you're running the ball. It's third and 20. What are you doing? Oh, sorry, Jake. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, Jake. I get so hit up talking with the Denver Broncos because of Patch. It's like, you know, it's like trauma. It's like trauma. I'm like, whoa, I don't want to minimalize what people who were in Vietnam went through, but I can only imagine that's what the flashbacks are like. Because it's just, it's the worst. Thinking back to Pat Shermer destroyed that offense from the inside. This must be what Texans fans feel like all the time. Thinking about Bill O'Brien. It's the only. It's the only thing I can compare it to. Uh, Jake, do you have any idea what that might be like? Any idea? Not really in my lifetime. I've been very spoiled since <laughs> I kind of followed the NFL in terms of Sean Payton and so, uh, uh, even uh, our you, defense. We we were, you know, Vitt and Greg Williams. I mean, 
I've been quite spoiled with the Saints in terms of competent coaching. Yeah, do uh, you know what? Having someone like Sean Payton... Now, now, correct me if I'm wrong, Jake. Sean Payton has retired. Is that his official... Technically, thing? yes. He's retired. So he may come back. He may come back at he some point. Will he will back. come back. Uh, I'm telling you right now, when Sean Payton comes back to the NFL, whichever team gets him, I don't care who it is, they Scabbers. will be... Don't say that. <laughs> Which, whichever team gets Sean Payton, they will be so glad. Because do you know what people love? Stability and success. That's what they like. It does, You don't need to win the Super Bowl every year. Because no team expects to win the Super Bowl every year. You don't need that. You're not expecting it. But what you want is stability. Are we a good team? Are we playing to the best of our abilities? Is the coach, you know, doing enough that the players that he has available are, are achieving what they can? If the answer to that is yes, what more What more do you want? Oh, we didn't win the Super Bowl this year. Well, that's because the other team was really good. Or the other team, you know, they got a few lucky breaks. Because let's not kid ourselves on here. A lot of the NFL has got to do with luck. Uh, you know, an awful lot of it. As a Saints fan, Jake, you know what I'm talking about. When the other team wins because of a lucky break, yeah, exactly. Happens like three all or four times in a row. Time. Yeah. Exactly. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bring up your own flashback. That's here. my PTSD, yeah. Yeah, that's yours. Um you know, the best that you can hope for in the NFL, and let's be honest here, in any sport, is that you do your best, and if things happen to go your way, then you win. I mean, that, that's it. That's that's sport in a nutshell. I can't remember who it was who said, uh, it's better to be lucky than be good. <laughs> that's fair. Because you need, every team needs luck. Every single team needs luck. And when we're talking about luck, we're not talking about huge, you know, that this play changed the game and that call changed the game. And I, Yeah, quite often that is the case. But sometimes it's the tiniest things that makes a difference. But if you do your job. You know what? Bill Belichick, there you do your job, win seven Super Bowls. Oh, good for you. And then you've got someone like Sean Payton that you do your job, didn't get the lucky breaks, didn't win seven Super Bowls, but every single one of those players can hold their head up high and say, I had a fantastic career. I won loads of games. A bunch of them are going into the Hall of Fame. And we all know that. That's what's going to happen. Um, and that's what you want. Stability at the coaching position. It's not even stability, it's competence. Just a competent coach. Someone who has any idea of how the game is played. And it boggles the mind sometimes that, you know, here's me and you, Jake, and, you know, we'll include Dave in this. We're three guys who are on the other side of the Atlantic, having never, ever had any capacity to coach any facet of a game of American footballer, and, and probably never will, in our entire lives. And yet... We're second-guessing what an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator is doing. How is that even possible? Do you remember, we, we spoke about the other week there, when, when the, the Jets run the cover nobody against the Raiders in, in, the, in the last play of the game, on, on fourth and 20, I thought, let's, let's just not cover anyone. Who, how can you think that's a good idea? How? 
And then I'm watching, as I say, you know, the Broncos games, and I'm going, it's it's third and nine. You've run a four-yard slant on third and nine? Why not run a nine-yard slant? You know, what's the difference? It's five yards. Get the first down. And then when you, your team's in front by, by three with two minutes to go, and they, they drop back, to, kneel down, take a knee. All you need to do is take a knee and you win the game. And they're trying to throw the ball or they're trying to run it out wide. Just kneel down. <laughs> do you not know what you need to do to win? In fact, if you're up by 14 with six minutes to go, take a knee. Stick, kneel three times. Punt. There you go. Think of the ball score touchdown. Who cares? Kneel three times, game's over. There you are. That's it. You've won. It doesn't matter. You can run 40 seconds with each kneel down. If you're up by 14 with six minutes to go, take a knee every time. That's it. The chances of them getting an onside kick are really, really slim. We all know that, especially these days. Chances of a team recovering an onside kick are virtually nothing. If they do, if they recover an onside kick and then march in the field and score another touchdown, you deserve to lose. So just take a knee. Stop throwing passes. I mean, remember, the, oh my God, you remember the, the Falcons Patriots Super Bowl and I was screaming at the television. Now, Kyle Shanahan, right? I'm a big fan of Kyle Shanahan, you know? It's the Shanahan tree offensive minds that guy knows more about offense than I will ever know if I live to be 150 years old but even I know that when you're in field goal range on the 20 yard line with whatever it was three minutes to go and an eight point lead you take three knees and then you kick it that's what you do why are you passing holding play fumble holding fumble interceptions Take a knee. Just take a knee. That's all you need to do. Why Why do people on, on the other side of the Atlantic have to scream at the televisions and just pull their hair out saying, all you need to do is take a knee. You don't need to win by 20 points. You just need to win. Because at the end of the day, the Lombardi Trophy doesn't care how many points you win by. It only cares whether or not you won. That's, I'm sorry, Jake. Do you know I'm ranting away here? Do you have anything to interject here? The only thing I was curious about with the Broncos. <laughs> I forgot is... we were talking about the Broncos. <laughs> yeah, we Sorry. The Broncos. <laughs> EFC um, West, deep dive. And I'm going on about the Falcons and the Patriots and the Super Bowl. Sorry about that. You lost Bryce Callahan. You lost Kyle Fuller. Oh, and did. the only quarterback I can see you brought in was Quan Williams from the 49ers. Mm. Depth of the quarterback, uh, the cornerback, besides of the Pats of Tan, is... is Maybe a bit worrying for that division that they're in. It's slightly suspect. I, I, Kyle Fuller I wasn't too worried about, uh, but Bryce Callahan I was. Um, to me, he, he was injured last year, but Bryce Callahan um, is one of the best slot corners in the NFL. So I was I was a little bit upset when they lost him. Um, I, I need to sort of re- reserve judgment on the defense this year. I still think we have the best safety tandem in the NFL with Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson. Um, got Randy Gregory um, as well now. We got Randy Gregory in. We, I say we lost Shelby Harris. That was, that was hard to take, but, but I think Randy DJ Gregory... DJ Jones, I think, came in for that as well, DT. Yeah, and uh, we also... from the 49ers as well. 
We also got, I mean, the the, the, the rookie last year, uh, uh, Baron Browning, I think his name was. Fantastic mm-hmm. rookie last year. We'll get Josie Jewell back from injury. He was huge the year before, was playing like a superstar this, uh, sorry, in 2021 before he got injured. So we'll, we'll get him back. I'm not too worried about the defense. I think we should be okay. Do you know what? I say we should be okay. We've got two games against the Chiefs, two against the Raiders, two against the Chargers. That could be on six. We'll, we'll see. That was, that was my final take, really, on the Broncos in terms of they've obviously got the most favorable schedule in the, in the division. They've certainly got games that they should be winning, but the real test will be how they fare in the, in the division game show. If they, if they go three and three, uh, you know, I'm very confident that the Broncos are going to be positive going towards the playoffs. If oh, they go, absolutely. you know, like you say, 0-6, 1-5, then you're kind of asking for trouble. Oh, yeah. If the Broncos can split their games against the division, they'll, they'll do well. This is probably the toughest division in the entire NFL, talent-wise. Um, I, th- I think it's, it's going to be really, really difficult to beat any of these teams uh, once, let alone twice. But I, I say that for all the teams. The Chiefs could go 3-3 three and three in division. The Raiders could, Chargers could, Broncos could. It's going to be really, really tough. Anything could happen in this division. Uh, so we'll need to wait and see what happens with that. Uh, I, I should probably end <laughs> our AFC West deep dive right there because I just, I'll, I'll, I'll carry on going on another tangent. So I, I'll stop it there. Um, so that's AFC West. We should probably look to our next segment, Jake. What do you think? The, the old classic. It's the old classic, and it is, of course, Random Stats. So uh, would you like me to go first this week, Jake, or do you want to take By all means, sir. All right, I think I will in that case. This week's random stat, and I I personally love this random stat because it has to do with the Broncos, and I always like that. But this has an extra special random stat this, this week because this actually concerns an individual who, um, with any good fortune, we will actually have as a guest on the podcast in the next couple of weeks. This is from a player who was a two-time pro bowler and a one-time all-pro player. He played for the Denver Broncos. He played for the Detroit Lions, the Chicago Bears, and the San Diego Chargers, back when it was San Diego Chargers. But we're going to talk about his time with the Denver Broncos. In 1995, that's what we're going to talk about. In 1995, one Glenn Milburn set an NFL record. And that NFL record still stands today. And it's the most all-purpose yards in a single game in the history of the NFL. And on the 10th of December, 1995, Glenn Milburn went for 404 all-purpose yards. That was 131 yards rushing, 45 yards receiving, 133 yards on kickoff returns, and 95 yards on punt returns. Glyn Mulburn could do it all. He was an a, a, a sensational player. He was number 22 for the, <clears throat> excuse me, for the Denver Broncos. As I say, that was back in uh, 1995. And uh, Glenn Milburn was 5 foot 8. He was a very short man. And he was 177 pounds. 
And as you see, made two Pro Bowls, one All-Pro, played for four separate teams. But yes, on this day in 1995, he went for 404 all-purpose yards. Um, and in 1998, he actually led the NFL uh, with kick return yards, kickoff return yards with 1,550. And that was when he played with the Chicago Bears. He also had two return touchdowns that year. And the following year with the Bears, he was named first in all pro and made another Pro Bowl. So that is uh, this week's random stat and the concerns Glenn Milburn, who will all things uh, going well, be a guest on the WinFL show in the next couple of weeks. Shout out Glenn Milburn. I promise, Glenn, that I won't bring up that I was six months old when you broke that record. <laughs> I, I will not bring that up to him. I might that might that might offend him. That's that offends me. I can't remember <laughs> that. How can you possibly be six months old? I was just a wee pup. Oh my goodness. My goodness. Uh, so what's uh, what's your random stat this week, Jake? Well, I was looking through some of my previous random stats, and I spoke about sacks and consistency. I was talking then about Cameron Jordan. Yes. Um, but I stumbled across a ridiculous stat that I had to double-check was correct because I, quite frankly, didn't believe it. Um, there is only one team in the NFL history to lead the league in sacks for five straight seasons. Um, there, there are one of four all time to have 50 sacks in five straight seasons but they are the only ones to lead the league in five straight seasons would you like to have a gander i'll take a guess and i'm mm -hmm. going to say the minnesota vikings because i remember guys like chris dolman and john randall um and the other guy whose name I don't remember, who like who set a who set a, an NFL record in in sacks, but uh, Chris Dolman, number fifty six, he was he was he was scary guy. Uh, I'm going to say the Minnesota Vikings, which would have been the sort of mid to late nineties. Minnesota Vikings. It's not the Vikings. I mean, there's so many good defenses to to choose from. Um, what if I told you it's a current team? And it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Behave yourself. Yes, that's exactly when I saw that. I was like, that can't be right. No, I don't believe you. Uh, but 2017, <laughs> 2018, 2019, 2020, and 2021, they led the league in sacks for, for five straight years. Right. Now and I want to so, know. No, 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 no. Hang on. Hang on. Right. So you're telling me that out of the, you know, Miami Dolphins killer bees, Dallas's doomsday defense, the uh, the the Steelers steel curtain, the orange crush, the purple people eaters, and all those great the the, the giants of the Bears of the eighties, the Giants of the eighties and early nineties. None of those teams led the league in sacks five straight years. Yeah, the problem is, you mentioned a lot of those teams; they kind of overlap, so they would have been eaten themselves. Oh, whereas yeah, the old Steelers, old Steelers at the moment. I mean, the biggest coincidence of them all is what happened in 2017. TJ Watt is what happened in 2017. Oh. I mean, they've got Cam Haywood. I mean, they've got, you know, many people uh, contribute to it. But it's certainly no coincidence that since 2017, they've led the league in sacks. And that was the year that they drafted TJ Watt. So like I say, they're off. So, so, they're sorry, all, sorry. Um, so, so, so since TJ Watt came into the league, the Steelers have led the league in sacks every year. 
Yep. God damn it. He's, he's a good good omen. Like I say, there are one of four um, all time to have 50 plus sacks in five straight seasons. So obviously that's just since the sacks metric has been in place. Um, but yeah, five straight years, you know, will they make it six? They'll certainly be, be trying and I'm sure TJ Watt will be a big part of it. But yeah, I had to double check that because I thought there's there's no way it's, it's true. But TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, the Steelers defense, Mike Tomlin, they are they are serious. Do you remember when we were covering the AFC North uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was talking about how Mike Tomlin will always find a way to win, and that the Steelers are one of the most consistent franchises. <laughs> I, I think you've just proved that with that stat. They always wow. find a way. What is what is it about certain franchises that you know through decades? seem to have like a consistently good one side of the ball. Do you know what I mean? It's like like the Steelers have always been about defense. And same with, same with the Chicago Bears. Every year the, the Bears have been successful. It's always because, because they had a great defense. It's never been because they're like, you know, a light-out offense. I wonder why, why that is. There's, there's got to be a reason for that. I, I don't know. It's got to be something in the water in Pittsburgh that causes great defences. I, I was looking at a thing on, um, was, was it Twitter? I think it was Twitter. And they were talking about um, the top uh, 10 quarterbacks of all time. Again, you know, it's always the same arguments. Top 10 quarterbacks of all time. And uh, <clears throat> someone had, had put in um, Terry Bradshaw. Now, you know, you've already know I don't like Terry Bradshaw. That's... And I was thinking, Teddy, Teddy Bradshaw wasn't a great quarterback. And I think I'd replied to someone saying, he's never top 10. Like, in no, in no universe. Someone says, well, he won four Super Bowls. I was like, well, no, he was the quarterback in four Super Bowl winning teams. <laughs> those, those, those Super Bowls were won by a defense. I don't think anybody would argue with that. Uh, although the, the person I was talking to clearly did. And But yeah, I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers have always been a team about defense you know you go right back to the 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 60s said and it was always defense they've never been a team that has sort of you know gone to the super bowl or or you know won a super bowl because of their offense it's always been about defense and uh, it's got to be something in there or i wonder if it's just because you know good defensive players coming out of college went i want to play for pittsburgh blue collar town um, I no, I, I certainly think there's it is philosophy, and especially with a team like the or an organization more um, with the Steelers in terms of their philosophy and their kind of consistency. It's certainly always going to really be defense minded. I mean, obviously the big Ben years and the and the Betis, but they always have a good defense to fall back on. And it's the same really for the Saints. You know, the years that we've been the best, especially recently, has been when we've had a good defense. And we, you know. You think of Saints, you think, especially recently, you think of Sean Payton, you think of Drew Brees. Oh, of course, well, yes, um, of course, yes. But but the years we did good was the the, the years that the defense stepped up. To, you know, it's all well and good scoring, and it happened against the Giants a few years ago. It's all well and good scoring forty eight points, but if you concede forty nine, you lose the game. So that well, we go back to the old um, uh, offense wins games and defense wins championships. That that's always been the case. I mean, it really has. It, it always comes down to the defense. Who's got the better defense? Time and time again, you see teams with like, you know, the number one offense versus number one, two offense. 
Uh, sorry, number one offense, number two offense, going up against each other. I oh, who's going to win the game? Who's going to win the game? Well, who's going to win defense? That, that's what it comes down to. It's always who who can stop the other team. I I I love that. There's something about the NFL that uh, you know. Some people call it the ultimate team sport, and I see why they call it that because it really is a case of it, you can have the best running back you can have the best linebacker you can have the best quarterback you can have the best defensive tackle it, it doesn't matter it's every team is only as good as its weakest link and whatever that weak link is that's what it comes down to the only time i think you could argue where offense beat defense was when the colts played the bears in the super bowl and that's purely because it was Peyton Manning versus Rex Grossman. I mean, there was literally no competition there. Uh, you know, the Colts didn't have a bad defense. It was a good defense. But the Bears had a really good defense. But the Colts had a good offense and the Bears had no offense whatsoever. It was it was utterly appalling. Um, so I think that's the only time where you can say, well, you know what, the offense won that game for the, for the, for the Colts that day. Because other than that, it's always been about the defense. Always, and it's uh, it's one of those things. I'm, I'm shocked, though, that the Steelers are the <laughs> the current Steelers are the only team to lead the league in sacks five years in a row. Going for six, and I would feel remiss if I didn't say that Front Arkton is better than Terry Bradshaw. So oh, oh, if he's, listen, yeah. that's absolutely, and anyone who argues to the contrary is just flat out wrong. To, to Terry Bradshaw, Terry Bradshaw, for the for like half his career, wasn't even the best quarterback on the Steelers. I mean, he wasn't. You know, they, 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 he was getting swapped out like every other game with. Oh, now I'm I'm gonna forget the guy's name. Was it Gilliam Gillingham? I I can't remember the guy's name. Terry Bradshaw was getting swapped out like every other game, but he hadn't proved himself. Even like after he won his first Super Bowl. It's like he, he hadn't proved himself to be the starting quarterback. And at the time, the Steelers had the best rushing attack in the NFL and by far and away, the best defense in the NFL. And they weren't shooting the quarterback. Bradshaw happened to be the starter. That's the way I look at it. There were, there were many quarterbacks in the 70s, hugely superior to Teddy Bradshaw. The guy won four Super Bowls. You know, he's, the guy's got four rings. I, I can't take that away from him. But... You know, you'd be as well to see the backup quarterback of four rings. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's like, you, you look at some, some of the uh, people who have Super Bowl rings. I'm sure, what, Matt Castle has a couple? Probably. Trent Dilfer. Trent, Trent, right, okay. Do you know something? Right, you've just reminded me of, 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 uh, of Thank You, Chick. And I'm going to go off on a tangent. And I'm apologising once again in advance for this. Because... You you've all we've all seen the thing of who is the best quarterback of all time, you know, and people will always say, well, these days Tom Brady, and I say, how can you possibly say Tom Brady's the best of all time? Well, he's got all the rings, and then you say, but Super Bowl rings doesn't mean you're the best quarterback, and they say, well, of course it does because you know that's what playing the game is all about. To which my argument is. 
So you're telling me you would rather have, I'm going to give you some options here, Jake, right? I'm going to, I'm going to put this into groups of um, four. I'm going to give you four quarterbacks on one side and four quarterbacks on the other side. So would you rather have, if you could have four quarterbacks to choose from, uh, Trent Dilfer, Jeff Hostetler. Oh, yes. <laughs> Jeff Hostetler. End of yeah. debate. Yeah. Uh, Trent Dilfer, uh, Jeff Hostetler, <laughs> the guy who played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Was it Doug? No, that wasn't Doug Williams. No. Who played for the Buccaneers when they won their Super Bowl? That's going to that annoy me tough. now. Oh, my God. Brad Johnson. That's who it was. <laughs> Brad Johnson and Mark Rippon. Or would you rather have um, Warren Moon... Randall Cunningham, Dan Marino, and Jim Kelly. And up until last year, I could have had Matt Stafford on that list. Uh, I, you, know, you, you could not, have not really a competition. I, so there's, there's four who have Super Bowl rings versus four who don't. Now, four of those guys, of the eight that I mentioned, are in the Hall of Fame. The other four aren't. Now, if you can pick which of those four... You know, R and R. You like it's a Super Bowl wins is not a metric to measure how good a quarterback is. It's just not. Now we've had, in fact, our very own <clears throat> Ewan McPhail has tried to convince me that Tom Brady is the best quarterback of all time. To which I will say he's not even the best quarterback in the last two years. He's just not. Never mind all time, because he's just not. Now, some people will argue with you that Joe Montana is the best quarterback of all time. To which I would say, no, Joe Montana is the best postseason quarterback of all time. I'll give him that. His record in the postseason is stupid. He never threw an interception in a Super Bowl. I think he threw what, two interceptions in his entire postseason career. It's, it's ridiculous. But... There is a reason that Bill Walsh, who many people consider to be the greatest coaching mind of all time, definitely the greatest offensive coaching mind of all time, tried to sell half of his team, including Joe Montana, in order to draft John Elway. Because Joe Montana just wasn't that good. He was in the perfect position for a quarterback. Now, I'm not saying Joe Montana wasn't a good quarterback. Of course he was a good quarterback. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been on Bill Walsh's team. But Bill Walsh was like, you know, selling house and home to get John Elway onto the 49ers. And he couldn't do it. He was offering everything to get John Elway. Couldn't do it. Couldn't get the deal done. He was going to trade Joe Montana. You take Joe Montana and half a dozen other players. I want John Elway. In, in the same vein that um, if if Peyton Manning had been drafted by Bill Belichick, the Patriots would have won 10 straight Super Bowls. I have no doubt in my mind that that would have happened. That's how much better Peyton Manning is than, than Tom Brady. It's, it's, pff, behave yourself. Anyone who thinks Brady is better than Peyton Manning is just kidding themselves. They are flat out wrong. Peyton Manning was infinitely superior to Tom Brady. Still is. But Bill Belichick's team and schemes enabled Tom Brady to win six Super Bowls. And the fact that he won a seventh with Tampa Bay 
Well, you folks say, oh, well, that's Tom Brady. <laughs> Is it? Really? The fact that Kansas City had no offensive line and that every time uh, Patrick Mahomes threw a ball from his backside, his receivers dropped it in the end zone? No, I don't think so. No. It's and, you, no. and you joined a super team. And he joined a super team. And then they got Leonard Fournette and Antonio Brown. and you know, Just throwing talent to that team. Plus, he already had Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Cameron Brait and, you know, and Jack Rob Barrett. And, and Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, they got Rob Gronkowski. So, yeah, it's not Tom Brady. Everyone's thinking Tom Brady won the Super Bowl for the, for the Bucks. No, he didn't. Everyone else did. Tom Brady did nothing. He threw 100 screen passes. That's all he did. Nothing else. Absolutely nothing. It's just, it, it grinds my gears sometimes when you hear people saying that rings means you're better. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. I know people say, oh, well, you know, okay, maybe not rings, but getting to a Super Bowl. That doesn't mean, means nothing at all. Have you ever heard of Gail Gilbert? Jake, do you, have, do you have any idea who that is? I'd say it rings a bell. So Gail Gilbert um, is a quarterback. And you could argue he's the most unfortunate quarterback of all time. Gil Gilbert. Um, oh, poor Tyra Taylor. Uh, well, you could argue Tyra Taylor, but I'm going to tell you a story about Gail Gilbert. Gail Gilbert is the only uh, player, to the best of my knowledge, I don't have any of this in front of me, to the best of my knowledge, as the only player to ever make five straight Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. Five in a row. Now, he made four of them as a third-string quarterback with the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> 1990, 1991, 92, 93. Oh, as we all know, they lost all four Super Bowls. So, Gail Gilbert was like, right, I'm out here. I cannot be having with this. I've gone to four Super Bowls as quarterback. Never played. And I've lost all four. I got f he's got he's got umpteen AFC championship rings. And he's like, yeah, I can't do this. So do you know what he did? He left. And he went to the San Diego Chargers. Do you know what they did the following year? Ninety mm. three? Went to the Super Bowl. Got absolutely obliterated by the San Francisco 49ers. Is that Dan Fouts? Uh no, Stan Humphreys was the quarterback. Ninety oh sorry, oh. ninety ninety uh ninety four, beg your pardon. Stan Humphreys, 1994. Gil Gilbert was so sick of losing Super Bowls, he went to the San Diego Chargers. They then went to the Super Bowl and got annihilated by the 49ers. He went to five straight Super Bowls and lost all five. See, after that, I don't know if the Chargers traded him. Was he if I was an NFL team? I'm not touching this guy. He's a jinx. Are you kidding me? Get him out of here. That's Gil Gilbert for you. Yeah, I, I don't even know if he ever played... I don't, I don't know if he ever took a snap in the NFL. All I know is that he was a third stringer on the Bills for three years and then he went to the Chargers. <laughs> so, sorry, third stringer on the Bills for four years, went to four straight Super Bowls, then went to the Chargers as a backup and then lost a fifth straight Super Bowl. That, that is the last last season he played was the Chargers night five. Oh, Ah, there you go, see? Gail Gilbert. That's a random stat. An extra random stat. That's an extra random stat for you. I'm sure he's a nice guy, but my God, what a jinx. You know? <laughs> oh, never mind. I, I wouldn't... I, I, I'm not sure. I just went to personal... I'm on his Wikipedia. Went to his, his Wikipedia. Um, the first line isn't great. So maybe he's not a great person, but... 
Obviously not he was also player. probably not a great quarterback either. So yeah, oh, he definitely wasn't a great quarterback. I, I don't know what he was like as a person. I have no idea. As I say, I'm not looking any of this up. This is just purely from memory. <laughs> anyway, I suppose Jake, we should finish it off uh, with that. Um, it's we kind of we kind of missed Steve this week, haven't we? It's not the same. I tried to keep uh, you know keep some focus on the Rams, obviously with them playing the NFC West. This is true. Um, so I tried to try, try to keep the Rams in 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 the. Uh, in the mainstream media for Dave. Hopefully he appreciates it. Well, do you know what? Let's give a, an extra special shout-out to the Los Angeles Rams, purely for our, our, our uh, MIA, uh, Dave Somerville. Hope, uh, hope you get well soon, Dave, and you'll be able to join us for our next show. Uh, but yeah, this has been the WinFL Show. Hope you've enjoyed yourselves uh, listening to me talk absolute garbage for the best part of an hour and a half, uh, and Jake doing his best to sort of... Uh, retain some semblance of sanity uh, we will be back uh, hopefully on Wednesday evening Jake am I right then? it's all being well that's the plan we're back on a Wednesday evening of course uh, due to the time difference our uh, our uh, podcast won't actually be uploaded until Thursday uh, so hope you've all enjoyed yourselves and uh, thank you very much for tuning in to the WinFL show we will catch you next week